I'm Coach Seb, and this is Running New Mexico. Joining me today, I have Coach Jim Chicarallo from La Cueva High School. He has 53 years of experience in Albuquerque Public Schools, five elementary schools, four high schools, graduate of Valley High School and UNM, multiple Coach of the Year honors, both nationally and in the state of New Mexico, coached the Duke City Dashers and Albuquerque Track Club, multiple state champs uh, as a team, has coached multiple individual champions and age group national champions, 2010 New Mexico Sports Hall of Fame inductee, has run elementary jump rope teams, and is an author. So thanks for joining me, Coach. Well, Seb, I appreciate you giving me a call. Uh, It's nice to be on your show. (laughs) Well, I appreciate you... uh, you lending me your time and and talking to me. It's uh, I'm really excited about this. Well, I like to talk track and field and athletics in general, and I've always been willing to share with people, particularly younger people. I'm not the kind of guy that just keeps everything close to the vest. Is that I've had some good memories and I've had a lot of good things. So uh, if you share your memories, they just keep going. You know, I think a lot of the coaches that I've talked to are, are that way, just pretty open about things and willing to share and kind of help each other out for the, for the good of the sport and the good of the athletes in, in the state. New Mexico traditionally has been like that, particularly in track and field. Cause I've talked to coaches from Colorado, Arizona, and Texas. And even though we're competitive within our sports and some of those other States, the coaches, uh, They don't get along as well as the people in New Mexico. I think the New Mexico people have a little bit more respect for each other and willing to share. Oh, that's fantastic. And so I guess, you know, kind of on that note, like how did you get into this? How did you know this was something you wanted to do? Well, you know, uh, I'll be honest with you. I'd rather be an athlete than a coach. I, I, I let people know that. Because when I was young, I was an athlete. And uh, by young, I mean when I was like five, six, seven, eight, I was age group. I loved being an athlete. I loved being in track. I, I, I grew up in Jersey City, New Jersey. And I had a PE teacher that got together a little relay team, took them across the river to New York City, the Big Apple, ran a little relay over there on the uh, West Side Armory. People may not have heard about that, but that's a big armory over there, right in Manhattan. And they hold track meets there every year. And buses would come from New Jersey, Connecticut, New York. And they would just have race after race. And I was like, you know, a young kid, age group. And to me, that was the most exciting thing. That kind of got me started. And then I went into basketball. I became a basketball junkie at the YMCA. So I was an athlete as a young kiddo, age group. And then I moved to New Mexico when I was a teenager. When I moved here, I went to Valley High School and I played basketball for Valley. I did track for one year and and decided that I was a better basketball player than track and field. And I kind of committed to basketball. Wow. That's where I started. That that sounds pretty awesome. and, and a great kind of intro into the sport, you know, talking about being, you know, into that basketball as, as a younger kid, did you ever coach basketball? Well, I'm really glad you asked that question because I went to UNM and I went there with one purpose. I was going to become a physical education instructor and a basketball coach, high school basketball coach. That's what I wanted to do. That was what I focused on. Lo and behold, I graduated from UNM and I took an elementary PE job at Lowell Elementary and Riverview Elementary in Albuquerque. People don't even know where Riverview is. 
Anyway, the next thing I know, I get a phone call. My first year of teaching at those two schools from the Duke City Dashes, and I was talking to John Holland, and I knew him from UNM because we played on the same intramural basketball team. And he said, uh, Coach, we got the Duke City Dashes going. We got a lot of really good distance runners. We're looking for some sprinters. Do you have any sprinters over there? And I said, well, I tell you what, I got a lot of fast kids here at Lowell Elementary. And he said, would you like to be part of the team and, and train them? He said, I work with Tony Sandoval and John Baker and Pat Cox and Tony uh, Richard Herrera. And I said, well, let me start timing my kids in PE class and racing them and see what we come up with. And next thing you know, I had them running on the grass. And the following weekend, had them out at Milne Stadium. And we became part of the Duke City Dashes. And that's how that started, my very first year. Wow. 1969. Where were you, buddy? <laughs> I don't think I was even a uh, a thought yet. <laughs> yeah. Wow. You my vibe. That's how it started, and I I kind of got committed to the program. I got committed to working with age group kids, and it was exciting for me because I remember when I was a kid on a bus going to Manhattan, going to run at the armory. And I knew that these kids were going to be excited about it. And believe it or not, over there at Lowell Elementary, those kids were, were really fast. They like track, but they don't really get around too much. It's kind of a lower income area. It's over at the Kirkland Edition. And those kids, even though they only lived a half a mile from UNM, they never went to UNM track meet or UNM football game or anything. They were basically a neighborhood school. So in comes Chicarello, a young guy, and I was young then, and getting them together and putting relays, batons in their hand, telling them they're going to run on Saturday at Milne Stadium. They never been there. They only lived half a mile from there. They never been there. So it was quite a story. Is that uh, I, and, and most of the kids were African-Americans. Uh, Back then, you know, it was just black folk. They were a bunch of black folk that lived in a low-income area. They loved to run track and field. And some of the athletes that I had that started as nine-year-olds, they developed to be outstanding runners at the high school level many years later. That is a, that's a fantastic start. And, you know, I mean, before mentioning how you got into it, I mean, just some of the names that you mentioned there just, obviously kind of well-known <laughs> people here in New Mexico and, and to be able to be in with that group as a, as a young man, it must've been pretty amazing. Yeah, no, I, uh, I remember those young years because I wanted to be a basketball coach, but I was coaching these kids in track and field and I was having a good time and I committed to them. So I got a phone call from Valley high school from Cal Garmin, who was a friend of mine from high school and university, and he wanted me to be the assistant basketball coach at Valley High School. And I was running these kids from Lowell Elementary with the Duke City Dashes, and, and you know, it was a hard choice to make. Uh, you know, I'd kind of have to give up all those young kids and just make my switch over to basketball. And I told Cal, I said, you know, I, I got some really good kids. I want to take them to nationals out in California. I said, give me some time to think about it. And uh, lo and behold, two months later, I decided I'm going to stay with the uh, elementary school and the track and field kids. And that's how that happened. Otherwise, I would have went a different direction. Wow. I mean, it doesn't sound like it was an easy choice, but obviously you've um, had a lot of success with it. And not just success, but I, I mean, I think you really have embraced this and, and enjoyed it obviously i mean it's you've been doing it for <laughs> quite some time now well you know the elementary you know I, I became an elementary phys ed teacher first i took a lot of pride in being the best pe teacher i could be and to be honest with you uh, a lot of people don't respect elementary pe as, as much as they do high school athletics 
But elementary PE is just as important, even though we don't get the uh, publicity that athletics gets. And there were elementary PE teachers all over Albuquerque that are working with five, six, seven, eight, nine-year-olds doing a fantastic job out there right now. And those kids are the ones that grow up to be your great high school athletes. So I want to give kudos to all those elementary PE teachers because how hard it is that they work. I used to have 10 classes a day. Can you imagine that? <laughs> five in the morning, lunch, five in the afternoon, 30-minute classes, PE. One class or another. One class running in, the other class running out. I'm just standing there in the playground. It was amazing. I got to see a lot of kids. And that's the way PE teachers work. Elementary. They're one of the hardest part of the APS instruction program. I I completely agree with that. I The PE teacher at the school that I'm at I mean he he works extremely hard to make sure those kids get are active and know their stuff and are ready to move on and making it fun and you know even now you know trying to do it with some kids in class and some kids virtually I mean he's he's working so hard to keep those kids active and and having fun and enjoying you know what yeah go into later, you know, something that they were introduced, you know, through him, which is just, it's fantastic. Well, that's where it starts, you know, and they may finish at the pro level, but kids get excited about athletics and sports when they're young and running is one of the basic beginning sports of all time. You get a little six year old out there racing around the playground. You don't have spikes on, you don't have a track shirt on, you don't have Somebody with a stopwatch watching me just running around the playground having fun. And that's how it starts. And then it blossoms from there into something special. One of the things that I really enjoy, you know, because right now I'm I'm still an elementary teacher myself, and it is kind of a joy just going, you know, spending my day with those those younger kids and then rushing after school to meet the older kids you know, at track and cross country practice. Cause you know, in some ways they're so different, but man, in other ways it's, it's the same thing. You know, you still get to see the same smiles. You still get to see their, their joys and their excitement when something happens. And, you know, it's, it's not all that different. And, you know, did you experience kind of that some, something similar to that? Yeah, I, uh, I find a lot of joy. That was a good word. I had find a lot of joy being around elementary kids because they were so enthusiastic about running where I experienced some high school kids that they wanted to be, be an athlete, but they didn't want to pay the price. They didn't want to do the, the workouts. They didn't want to do what it took. Not all of them, but some of them, but elementary kids, they just wanted to move and they just wanted to do things. And they're excited and their bodies are just moving all over the place. And, and when you tell them, hey, we're going to have a race. You want a race? Come on over here. And they all run over there. And they all want to race. And they don't know how far they're going to go. I'm going to race in 50 yards. They're going to race in 80 yards. Or Say, let's run around the playground and back to here. Yeah, coach, let's go. Let's go. We're ready. And uh, the excitement that they have, they're self-motivated, was infectious to me. Yet at the same time, I know other people that were friends of mine that said, how could you handle that hyperness, the noise level? How do you handle that being around elementary kids? Because their excitement generates a lot of noise and a lot of moving around and maybe not in control. And I found out that I loved it. I loved the fact that they just raring to go. So with a minimal instruction, I say, I want you to race around that tetherball pole, touch the backstop, come back to me. First one back is the winner. And they would just go crazy. And I'd be having my hand out and slap five when they came back. Pretty simple, completely different than what I do at Quaver High School. Right, it, it is. It's That's all you have to say is, First one back's the winner, and an elementary kid, like boom, they're they're off. <laughs> it's 
it is a it is completely different you know in in track and field like coaching it's um that motivation it still has to come from them but it's it's a little bit it can be a little bit tougher to kind of manage and to spark as they as they get older there's excitement elementary kids it's it's hard to it's hard to describe unless you feel it and if you you can feel it when you're with them they're all standing on the line and you're goofing around with them say i no jump start not only get a head start you want a head start oh oh yeah we'll give you a head start and i (laughs) you talk to them like that and they're just jumping up and down and they're ready to go and uh I tapped into that. And when I tapped into that, I found out that I could motivate more kids. And I would use that. I'd have, this is no lie, Seb. I would have at a recess, 150 kids lined up, ready to race across the playground at recess. And all I say was go. And then they take off. Teachers used to look out the window and say, wow, look at all those kids. It's a recess. And they're racing across the playground. Not attract me, not the Olympics, just a little old recess. It's I every every year because they all know that I run, they all know that I coach, and I always well we we usually do our um uh, we usually do a jogathon at our school to help raise money, and so I get to run with them and every they get so excited, but but that every every year you know it's just. Uh, I get a handful of kids who are like, okay, let's, I want to race you. I want to race you, mister. And, you know, we line up at one end of the grass field. And as soon as the other kids start seeing like, oh, we're going to run, we're going to, you know, it just, it, it grows exponentially. And, and then, and that's it. It's just one side of the grass field to the other. And it get they get so excited about it. They get so. That's the beauty of it. Excitement of it. Yeah. It is, you know, like you said, I mean, it's just something completely different that if you haven't, if you haven't worked with elementary kids, it, you, you, you just can't, you can't even imagine, you can't, that feeling like you talk about, it's just amazing. It's simple, but good. I, I, I graduated since then. That's how I started. Yeah. And just by going to track meets and then moving from little age group kids into teenagers that was a big huge difference because then all of a sudden we're at a higher level but i never gave up working with elementary kids because i still stayed with age group for years and then i also started a jump rope team for kids and so i always tapped into young kids even though i was coaching high school athletes and athletes that would go to major AAU track meets around the country. I still had the elementary kids at heart. I, I think, you know, that's that's fantastic. I mean, that's how you grow the sport, right? Is by getting them introduced to it and, and helping them find that love when they're when they're young. And I think that's that's hard. You know, it's so easy to to join a soccer or baseball or you know, any of these other sports, you, you see them all the time. And I don't think there's quite as many kids who, who joined the, the age group, the age group running or, you know, track or cross country groups. I, I remember way back in the day when I first started doing that, we're going to talk about soccer here in a second and basketball and volleyball. Is that back in the day in the sixties, early 70s age group track and field was kind of huge it's not as big as anymore and there are a lot of reasons for that and one of them is that parents decided to get their kids involved in little programs to keep them busy when they're young and these soccer clubs started springing up all over the place and volleyball and basketball did the same thing And so kids were torn between trying to select between the different sports. They couldn't do them all at the same time. Some people could duplicate and others couldn't. And then when we found out there were all these parks had all these kids playing soccer. And a lot of those kids that were playing soccer weren't doing track and field anymore. And that, and that's how it evolved. 
uh, and this is all after Title IX. You know, when Title IX came, it's related to Title IX because before then, you know, the schools took kids, uh, the high schools and the colleges took care of male athletics, and the female athletics progressed through the club program. And that's how they got the USA Olympic team is through club program, the uh, the club program or high school for boys. And the girls only had a choice to go through clubs. So female athletics basically went through the clubs. And then once Title IX came, then the high schools and colleges got involved. A lot of people don't understand that. That's how that happened. And now all of a sudden you have the clubs expanded into soccer, basketball, and volleyball. Little League's always been around. Little League was always for age group kids. But the other stuff wasn't. Now it is. So the whole landscape has changed. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, I mean, I know, like, even just, you know, school track, we're constantly having to try to work and manage you know, kids' schedules, because they do want to come and run with us. They do want to spend time with us. But then they've got that club volleyball or that club basketball or that club soccer commitment. And it's uh, it's hard, you know, at the high school level, trying to manage all that. And that's the kids who are willing to to try to, you know, make that work and not just, well, I'm 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 doing this. I'm doing the club sport, so I can't. You know, I won't be there for track. Yeah. They, the adults, too. It's not just the kids. It's the parents, the coaches, the athletes all got to be on the same page. If they're not, it ain't going to happen. There are coaches out there that are not willing to share athletes. Are you aware of that? Yep. I'm particularly aware of that. I never had that problem when I first started. They all wanted to run track. Back in the early 70s, everybody that I was coaching just did track and field. They didn't do soccer. They didn't do basketball. They didn't travel to Phoenix to be in a soccer tournament. They didn't have those things back then. But they'd have a track meet over there in Phoenix. So track and field had a bigger clientele, and there was more involvement in track and field back then. Now the kids got to make choices and the coaches have to be willing to share. And sometimes they're not. That's my point. And they make kids choose. And sometimes when kids choose, they will choose the sport where they travel a lot and there's more excitement for them and their parents. Example, if you're going to run in a track meet at Millennium Stadium on a Saturday afternoon or play in a volleyball match, in Las Vegas, Nevada, which one are you going to go to? Right. That's what they're doing. They're hopping in their cars or on an airplane. They're going to Las Vegas or San Diego, California. They're playing volleyball and soccer. While we're running track on a windy day in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And that's what it's really changed sports. It's made it harder. Now, there's more kids involved because if you add up track and volleyball and basketball, if you add it all up, there's a lot more athletes. But the kids are getting away from being a three-sport athlete into uh, dedicating themselves to one sport and becoming all-year-round soccer player. That's my point. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's... That, that that is a great point it is that we have shifted a, away from um the multi-sport athlete to to really just that one sport year-round athlete and i mean i i know i've seen it um just in the short time that i've been coaching but but even before that just with you know kids around me family kids i was teaching you know you'd, you'd see the kid that was there's summer summer t-ball and winter t-ball and spring you know like they're they're it's year-round no matter what sport you're doing you can find there's you can find it going on year-round you know they've done studies on this people smarter than me at the university level and they have found out that the kids that are in multiple sports have more chance of success and less injury 
because they're using different muscle groups and that mentally they're being stimulated because they're doing something different and that that works the best until they get to a certain age when they have to make a choice. If they want to be a college basketball player somewhere down the road, they have to decide I've got to go basketball. But as a, a young age grouper and a young teenager, I still think that they should try different sports and get involved in more than one thing. I, I agree. And there's some that I think lend very well to each other for sure. And we can get into that. Uh, but I'm curious about, you know, you, you you spent those early years kind of working with the Duke City Dashers and doing that age group. When did you, you know, even though you said you you continued with that, when did you uh, make that leap into the high school sports? Well, I started with Duke City Dashes for a couple of years and I was working in the southeast part of town. And most of the kids I worked with were low income kids where the kids in the Duke City Dashes were uh, far northeast heights. And we had a lot of trouble in transportation and being on the same level. So I decided I was going to do something different. And I hooked up with a guy named Barry Rodriguez who was over at uh, Apache Elementary, which is closer to the Southeast Heights. And we started a new club called the Albuquerque Track Club. And the Albuquerque Track Club became my my number one track team to coach and be a part of. And they were basically age group kids that we took up to about 18. And I was in that for about 10 years. And at that time, Val Boyer, who started out as a Duke City Dasher and became an Albuquerque uh, track club kid, became a national competitor type athlete in the 100 and the 200. And she was able to make a couple of teams. And it was really exciting to be part of that. And at the same time, girls programs were opening up at the high school level. And so she's a high school kid. Her junior year, she's at Mazzano High School. She says, Coach, can, we're starting a team over here. Can you come over here? And I said, well, you know, I'm really a, an, an AAU guy, but we'll give it a shot. So I went to go to Mazzano High School, and lo and behold, I started recruiting kids to run with Val. And like I said, Title IX had just passed. And they were starting to buy uniforms, get programs for girls. And so I got involved with the high school level because of Val Boyer going to Manzano and asking me to coach over there. And then once I got to the high school level, I was teaching elementary PE and coaching high school. And it was just easier for me to just stay there. And for a few years afterward, I still worked in the summer with club kids. I continued to work, but on a lower level. And I became more of a high school track coach that's how that started that's pretty amazing and i know you know you mentioned uh val boyer who i was lucky enough to have on on this podcast as well and you know she talked about that that journey and and you know how you were the the first person she kind of called up because of that relationship and you know so what does it mean you know that coach athlete relationship because it is so I mean, just looking at you and Val, I mean, you guys still talk. I, I see you guys on Facebook chatting and, and having conversations. You know, what does that relationship between you and your athletes mean to you? Well, you know, it, coaching uh, coaching relationship is a pretty good one. It, not everybody has a great coaching relationship because sometimes things happen and people get mad. Different things happen. People change clubs. People change schools. It happens at every level. But overall, a coaching relationship is a relationship where an adult is working with a kiddo and trying to make that kiddo as best as they can. And the the kiddo appreciates it. And they work together toward a common goal. And they spend a lot of time together. They spend hour after hour after hour, weekends, traveling. And the relationship developed, particularly if it's a trusting one, and it, it turns into something really special over the years 
And then when their competition years are over, they still maintain contact with you. I've known Val for 53 years. She's in her 60s now. And we're still friends. We still communicate. She's a grandma. Her kids are friends with me. Her husband's a friend with me. And even though she's in Arizona, I'm in New Mexico, we, we keep in touch. And all coaches out there have athletes like that. Not every athlete you ever coach is going to be like that. But there are certain ones that you really spend a lot of time with and you just bond with. And the relationship is something that's really special. And that'll be for life. That's not just for when you're two years. Other athletes and other students, you know, some athletes come into your life and they leave. And then other athletes... They spend time with you, and years and years later, you still communicate with them. And that's part of coaching. And it's different than being a teacher. A teacher doesn't have the same relationship of day in and day out, after school, and traveling that a coach has. A coaching relationship is just a little bit different than teaching. And uh, as coaches may not have every athlete like that, but certain athletes come into their life and they share experiences all the way through. And then years later, they still communicate. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I think <laughs> I, I, even just in my short time, you know, I have athletes that, you know, I'm still in contact with, you know, some of them only coached a couple of years, you know, transitioning from another coach. And it, it is, um, you know, that, that connection, like you talked about, you know, it's not just, it, it goes beyond the athletic part. You know, that, that's where they, that's where you gain the trust with each other, but it goes beyond that for sure. Yeah, I mean, you've gone through hard times and good times. I've had athletes that get a sprained ankle or they get a, a you know, a virus. They have allergies, they get sick. And you fight through all that and then they come back healthy and they take it to another level. And then maybe they have another injury and they fight through that and come back. And it's an ongoing deal. And it's over like a long period of time. It may be three, four, five years or longer. And you build a relationship with them. It's a trust relationship. It's a caring relationship. And not everybody ever experiences that. But most coaches sooner or later have those kind of experiences. Absolutely. And, and, I guess on that note, how hard, you know, was this last year, you know, with track getting canceled and, um, you know, kind of having some times where you weren't really seeing the the kids and stuff. How hard was that on, on some of your relationships and I guess relationship building um, leading into this track season? Well, you know, leading into this track season, I'm going to be honest with you, COVID-19 has really hurt the track and field scene. Uh, I, I know what I'm doing at La Cueva, and I've lost some kids I shouldn't have lost. Uh, some kids are involved with so many sports right now, they can't handle being part of the track program. Right now, you have, you know, basketball going on, you have soccer going on, you have preseason track and field, and the numbers were low in track and field. And I talked to coaches across the city, and they were having the same problem. COVID-19 has hurt the track and field program probably more than any other sport. We didn't have any track and field a year ago. And then this year, we're delayed. And people have moved, actually, people have moved out of the state to go to other states to compete. We've had two kids from LaQuaven move to Utah, and they're running in Utah. We've had a couple of kids that, are playing basketball right now and basketball season should be over and they're playing basketball and they probably aren't going to come out for track. So we're not the only team like that. I myself tried to keep touch with them by phone, by text and reminds. And I tried all kinds of things to try and keep the kids going. We weren't allowed to be with them. They shut us down completely. Track and field has been a little bit of a stepchild compared to all the other sports. COVID-19 hurt everybody, but I think it probably hurt the track and field 
programs around the city and the state the most. And we're going to find that out in the next month. I, I agree with you. And I think it's been hard, you know, kind of on that recruitment level. I mean, there's freshmen that, you know, we have kids who, you know, they're not in school. So they're not seeing those freshmen like, hey, you should come out. Hey, you should, you know, check this out or, or having, you know, the high school PE teachers, you know, recommend, hey, you should try out for the the track team, the cross country team. You know, those, those, they're, you know, they might still be working at home. They might still, you know, there's, so there's kids their freshman year who aren't, who aren't getting that exposure to maybe, oh, this might be something I, I might be good at, you know, and kind of, I don't want to say losing a year, but, but kind of. Yeah, they, uh, you know, it's one thing to be working on your own. It's another thing to be with a team. When you're with a team, you build relationships and friendships and you all want to be part of the same deal. Where when somebody tells you virtually, you need to go out and, you know, run some 40-minute runs. Or you need to run some intervals or something. Some kids can do that and some can't. That's just the way it is. And and we never had any contact at all with freshmen. I never saw any freshman kids at all. Blows me away. I know there are good freshmen out there. They don't know who I am. They, you know, some of them moved here from out of state. Some of them came from the mid schools around here, and I haven't seen them. And I know that there are some, a couple of them that are on a basketball team. Hopefully, I can get them to come out for track and field. Uh, it's everywhere, though. It's not just at La Cueva High School. I know that. It's across the state because I talk to other coaches. COVID-19 has really hurt track and field, and we're going to see it this year. No, absolutely. Um, I had a similar conversation with um, Coach Kedge from uh, Academy last week, and he talked about that. He said it's it's going to be a good eighteen months of you know nothing but recruiting before we see you know the the cross country and track numbers up to where you know they should be. Yeah, I mean you're talking about not having a JV season. I don't know if you heard that. Yeah, yeah. Normally in track and field, you got a varsity and a JV. You have about 24 members that are part of your varsity. Some of them may be JV. Then you got about another 20 or so that are JV kids that get to compete. Well, there are teams out there now will have no JV kids. None. Because they only got 10 or 15 kids on their varsity and they're going to run the varsity meet. Yeah. So APS hasn't even come out with a JV schedule because they're not quite sure how to schedule it. Yep, it's gonna be it's gonna be an interesting season uh, for sure. I'm I'm glad for the kids that are out there putting in the work that they're able to to have a season though after after last year. So that's at least one point of positivity. <laughs> oh yeah. There are, there are kids out there that love track and field and they can't wait for it to start. And it, it, it's probably going to happen. You know, I got fingers yeah. crossed that we don't have an uptick in COVID where they shut us down anymore. But sure. that's always possible is that something like that could happen. But there are kids out there that want track and field and they're ready to go. Right. Now, we're we're uh, going to get ready to go in a different part of the season. We're going to get ready to go when it's hot. Yeah. Normally, it's windy. A little bit cool. Now all of a sudden we're going to be training and running in hot weather. That's another different thing this year. Yeah, that's going to be that's going to be interesting for sure. You know, I want to go back for a moment and kind of talk about, you know, again the fact that you you've been doing this for, you know, fifty some years. You know, starting with the the age groupers and and now with the high school. How has track just in general? changed i mean i imagine that that back then you were running on a lot of dirt or, or cinder tracks well you know back then uh, we used to line the fields we line uh a dirt field with white marble dust and we had little machines that we'd go around and when we had a track meet we'd put the lanes in and they'd run on dirt and when the wind came up, it would blow the lines away. <laughs> and sometimes we were out there and there were faded lines. And kids couldn't stay in their lanes. They couldn't see them. So they still wanted to run, 
kids today are spoiled what they run on and we would run on hard surfaces and because you run on hard surfaces you're going to have more lower leg problems and the cinders let me tell you about the cinders the cinders mixed in with the dirt and the wind at milne stadium and that was a, a conglomerate of stuff <laughs> the kids would fall on that and all of a sudden they got strawberries all over their legs wow yeah right they would and it was hard to run with spikes on that because back then they had these long spikes, didn't really have short ones. And it would be easy to trip or get your spike caught in the cinders and dirt. And you would go down. Uh, running on the surfaces was completely different. Milne Stadium, Wilson Stadium. None of the tracks had all-weather tracks. None of them. And everything was hand-timed. There was no fully automatic timing. Everything was hand-timed. The way you competed to make it to state was through district only. There was no times that were qualifying marks that got you to state. Wow, I did not know that. Yeah, no, there weren't. There were no qualifying. Nope. You either went to state by being first or second in district, or you didn't go to state. If you had one bad day or you woke up sick that day, you didn't go to state. Or if you had That's a really state. tough district. Wow. If you had a tough district, you could be the third best team in the state and not go to state. Absolutely. And that happened all the time. Or if you had the best four by one relay and you dropped a stick at district and you were heading heels above everybody, you didn't go to state. Wow. That was horrible. You talk about tears when, when somebody was undefeated all year. And they make a mistake in district and they don't get to go to the state track meet. That happened all the time. District was so huge and so important. I, I really like the qualifying times, giving kids more than an opportunity than on a one-day meet to go to the state meet. Because the state meet is the epitome of everything. The state meet used to be held. Well, first of all, there used to be a boys' meet and a girls' meet. I don't know if you were of that. No. The unders used to be separated. Yep. Wow. wow. I had no idea. <laughs> On one weekend, they'd have boys, and next weekend, they have girls, whatever, before they put them together. It's more exciting when they put them together. I agree. But they were, they used to, and they used to run at night, too. We used to run at UNM at night, put the lights on. Well, we might get that this year with the heat. <laughs> I've already mentioned that uh, Adam Cage and people at the New Mexico Activity Association to find a way to make part of that meet at night. Turn the lights on. Of course, they're running up against travel restrictions and everything, too, so it's going to be kind of hard. Oh, Otherwise, yeah. they might be running in 95-degree weather. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be rough there in uh, late June for sure. But they'd rather have that than nothing. These kids want to run a state. They love state. If there's sure. one thing that people love in track and field is going to the state track meet. They may forget about that little community stadium quad, but they'll never forget about that New Mexico state meet at UNM. That is true. And so you know, I look forward to it myself. You know, so that's how it changed a lot is the numbers were different. The tracks were different. The locations where you run your big meets are different. How you qualify was different. The starting, the timing, the watches, handheld watches. They had all kinds of different kinds. They didn't even have electronic watches. They had three dial watches. Wow. I've never seen one of those. The <laughs> split timers. People don't even know what those watches are like. No. Split timers. That's what you used to use. A youngins, three-face watch. Wow. There was no handheld electronic watches. <laughs> there were people that were very good at timing, you know, and people that were very good at picking, and they could do that. There, there were amazing people back then. Dandy Hart, he, <clears throat> you could have 20-something runners in a two-mile, and he would know every one of them, how they placed, no matter whether they got lapped or not. And he'd be there with a pencil and a clipboard and just putting them in order. And he never missed. Wow. Dandy That was a long time ago. Now kids got numbers on them. They could put a number on their hip. 
They hit the finish line, the camera takes a picture. They already know. They yep. know who the winner is and what time is. Instant. Instant, too, which is kind of nice. It's kind of nice to know instantly. Because sometimes we didn't know who won until about an hour later. <laughs> we was close. They had to the, they had to the verbalize with each other and try and figure out who it was that won that race. It was so close. Wow, wow! It was different back then. Uh, the tracks were different. The timers were different. The people that ran the meet were different. Uh, the numbers, there were still. I think there were bigger numbers back then. There were there were a lot of kids running track and field back then. I, I think maybe 30, 40 years ago, more kids were involved in track and field than there are now. Wow. You know, you talked about, you know, kids tripping and and uh, in the cinders and, and the tears and everything. And it actually kind of reminded me of of something that I've seen kind of in my time. And that's the fact that um, obviously not last year with the season getting canceled or this year with the the meat getting pushed back into June. But the the fact that we APS has graduation week, the same week as the state meet. And, you know, I've seen teams, you know, not my own, you know, some of my own kids having to make that choice. Some yeah. other teams having to make that choice of, of whether they were going to walk the line or, um, or run at the state meet. And it was, uh, you know, seeing teams cross the finish line and then, and then cry because they missed their graduation. It's kind of crazy how that happens. Yeah, I, I, I don't know how to, they, administration has to do a better job of organizing that. That's all I got to say is that to take the state meet away from an athlete that's worked for four or five months, that's hard. And graduation after four years, that's hard too. Because that's important in their lives, to their family and everybody else. But there's a way to do that. I know there is. It's all scheduling. It's a scheduling problem. And there's a lot of different venues in Albuquerque that they can graduate from. I know they like to say that we can't have four high schools graduate from UNM Pitt at the same time. Oh, yeah. But we got Tingley Coliseum. You got the outdoor UNM football stadium. You got the pit. There's all kinds of places you can graduate at different times. So I think that's an administrative problem. Got to make it happen. I agree. I agree. What are you uh, looking forward to, you know, this year, coaches, where, you know, things aren't going to be still not quite ideal or, or, you know, not quite normal, but what are you looking forward to? Uh, well, you're talking about our, our team at La Cueva in particular? Yeah. Or are you talking about in general? Or both. Okay. Number one, I'm looking for a full track season, which is six meets plus district and state. I want that to happen. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to warm weather. Kids are going to, even though it may get hot, warm weather. Kids run better times in warm weather. If the competition is good and the weather is warm, they're going to run a good time. Hopefully we can run some uh, pretty good times and get all the meets in. I'm looking forward to that as, as a whole track season. And then personally at La Cueva High School, I'm trying to develop a team effort. At La Cueva, we favored a team more than anything. We've been that way for over 20 years. We've been on the podium 20 out of 21 years. And that because we stress team over the individual. Yet we still try and get the individual to come to the top. So I want to try and get some individuals in their events to try and get to excellence as high as they can. And at the same time, have the team have success. So I'm looking forward to that. Look, you know, whatever happens, happens. There are a lot of good teams out there. I know you, you're at a school that has a good team. You have a very good group of sprinters. And I know Adrian Tatum's over there. I know how good she is uh, as an individual. But as a team, we want to be able to compete with any team in the state. And hopefully that we can get on that podium somewhere. And that's kind of what our goal is. 
I'm looking forward to that to see what we can do. And, and new kids, try and develop new kids. I think those are great things to look forward to. And I, I look forward to seeing you out there on, on the track and and being able to see what uh, what your kids have and, and just seeing them, you know, seeing all the all the girls, all the boys out there who want to compete, able to be out there and compete with each other. I think we're going to see that. We're going to see the excitement. Uh, you know, I always say I like that very first track meet to watch that four by one relay. I just love watching a four by one relay because it's so fast. It's one of the marquee events. And then you, and it's the first meet of the year and everybody just kind of stops to watch that event because it's a speed event. And it kind of sets the tone for the rest of the season. Like, wow, track and field is really here. There they go. Everybody's watching that four by one, and, and you have really haven't seen people run through a year and a half, and then all of a sudden there they go, and you know that you got your season going. I'm looking forward to that first four by one when the gun goes off, whether it's boys or girls. I'm not even sure. APS is still trying to organize their order of events and who runs and what order they run in. We don't have that yet, but normally the four by one is one of the first events. Uh, you know what, Coach? I'll have to uh, to share an email I just got on Friday from my athletic director. Uh, they have a, a rolling schedule out for each of the, the meets. Um, not for each individual, but if you're doing an afternoon after school one, Saturday morning or Saturday afternoon. We haven't seen anything for the orderly events. Yeah. I'll, like, for example... Yeah, I'll I'll share that with you after when we get off. Okay. Yeah, no, I do want to see that. Because that's how you pick the events you want to put the kids in anyway. And I know it's a little bit different this year. We just we just don't have it yet. Yeah. No, like you said, the numbers are gonna be interesting across the board for sure. Um I know there's some teams that, you know, only have a a handful of athletes that they've been able to get out at this point. So it's um it's going to be, like I said, I'm happy for the kids that are that are out there competing, but uh, for the sport as a whole, it's it's going to be a, a still kind of a weird year. Yeah, from the very beginning, we don't know because we haven't done it in so long. Yeah. We, just, we need we need to make something happen in the next two months. We can't be shut down again. What yeah. a bummer that would be. We, we don't need to be shut down. We need to get six meets in, go to state, and then – Restart it again next year. Right. Exactly. You know, Coach, you've been doing this, like I said, for man, what 50 some years now. 53 to be exact. 53 years. <laughs> how do you how do you still find the energy? Well, you, you could tell I don't move as fast as I can. I still can talk pretty fast. <laughs> but I don't move as fast. And I find a lot of kids that help me move stuff. Back in the day, I could pick up a high jump pit and move it by myself. Now those pits don't come out unless I get kids over there dragging it out and drag it back in. I could do that years ago. I don't even move hurdles anymore. I'm afraid they hurt my back. So physical limitations limit me a little bit right now. But motivation is still there. And I use my past experiences to help me get the kids to buy into the program to do what we're trying to do. And that's high energy. Yeah, that's high energy. It's just not a physical energy where I'm actually doing stuff myself. I certainly don't demonstrate. Those days were over. When I first started, I could run backwards with the kids. <laughs> I could. I'd run backwards. <laughs> have fun. High jump. I used to high jump all the time, demonstrate. There's no way I would demonstrate anymore. But I've learned one thing that comes with age, and you've heard this before, is wisdom. The wisdom of not trying to demo and get hurt while you're trying to show kids what to do. Get a kid to show the other kids. And get them motivated. And that's energy. It's high energy to motivate people. I'm not out there to be an athlete anymore. I'm out there to get kids to excel and be athletes. And I'm going to use all my past experiences which grow year after year to get them to do that. And that's where my energy comes from. You know, coach, I've said this to probably every coach I've had on, but 
it, it's it's amazing when I get to talk to another coach because of that passion that you just you, you hear in their voice. You know, I can hear it in your voice now, just talking, you know, through this whole interview. But but even just talking about your kids, you've you've got coming up now, and how well, you can't show them, but you're 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 showing them through other kids, and then you're excited for it, and you're excited for these kids to to have a breakthrough to see what they can do, and it's just, you know, it's. No, no matter if you've been doing this for, for one year, two years, or 53 years, you know, that you still have this energy to, you know, the be the best version of yourself for the kids that you're out there for. It's just, it's amazing. No, you, if you don't learn by what you do from year to year, you're a fool. You should be better five years from now than you are now. You The past experiences that you've had and the mistakes you had that you correct help you to be a better leader of young people. And I've always believed that young people that are role models help other young people rise. It's an old saying, a rising tide lifts all boats. I really believe that. We lift them all up. And you do that if you have good leaders. And I know how to pick student leaders. I'm going to pick a leader that's going to go out there and go hard and say, hey, can you go to her or him? I coach boys a little bit too, mostly girls, but I do help boys. I'm, I'm working with boy high jumpers this year, boy hurdlers. So I have things going. And I'll, I'll pick a demo and I'll say, you need, look at this. Can you do that? I challenge you. Can you do that? And that's one way that you use your energy level by being motivated and you don't actually have to do it yourself. Well, you talked about picking, you know, those captains. How do you how do you pick your your assistants so that you guys are on the the same page and working well together as well? You know, that's really important is picking good assistants. I learned that a long time ago. I know that all the good track programs always had good assistant coaches because one guy can't do it. You know, back in the day, Henry Sanchez at Highland High School, he was so good at picking assistant coaches. I used to watch him. Now, he had a lot of good athletes and he had high numbers, but he was very good at picking people in different parts of the program. Somebody that uh, understood the long jump, somebody that understood the discus or the javelin, and they were able to do that, and he trusted them, and he let them go. But uh, I'm going to go back to what a head coach should do. At the beginning of the season, you should have a meeting with your assistant coaches and sit around and make sure you're all on the same page and tell them what the expectations are and give them a chance to give input and make sure you stay on the same page. And then as the season goes on, you continue to readjust. That's what coaching is and a staff and together. And some schools are better at doing that than others. I think that's great advice, coach. Uh, I believe in it, and I try it. I, I, I meet with my assistant coaches all the time. When something ain't going right, we'll just say, hey, let's go over here and take a walk privately. I had to do that this week. We had an issue come up, and I said, come on over here. Ken, Raquel, come here. Let's talk about this. we got to be on the same page. And then we all worked it out, went back to our work, and we had it. And that's important. So assistant coaches, like you said, they're important. It ain't one person that does the whole job. That's I that's absolutely <laughs> that's for sure. I mean, like you talked about, there's you know, whether it's numbers or not, there's just too many too many events, too many things to try to, you know, for one person to try to squeeze everything into. It's it's too hard. Now, you know, in my whole career, I've coached just about every event except the pole vault. I really don't want to coach the pole vault. <laughs> but I coach every event, but when I'm doing track and field during a regular season, there are certain events I'm coaching. The other ones I stay away from. My assistant coaches do it. And I watch him and I say, well, what do you need? What do you need to make us better? Well, coach, we need two more javelins. Okay, I'll go out and get them. You got it. That's how we can help our assistant coaches not by being on top of them all the time and saying, no, that's not the way you teach a kid to throw a javelin. You got, you got to have faith in your assistant coaches that they're going to do the job 
talk to them privately about improvements, but everybody's got to be on the same page. That's, that's fantastic, Coach. You know, I hear your energy, and I, I had a question I, I was curious about, and then I hear your energy, and I'm like, oh, well, no, maybe I shouldn't ask this. But, you know, during this time, because everything was so different, and you were, you know, again, I mean, I, I was just talking to, to Coach Ketch last week, and, and he was saying, you know, this was the first time in 40-some years from when he was running in in high school and through college and becoming a coach that his his life didn't revolve around wake up go to school go to practice and so you know how how hard was that you know i think we talked a little bit about how how difficult that was for some of the kids and how we've seen you know the numbers down and and some kids moving to have that opportunity but how difficult was that change in schedule for you well, like everybody else, it's been a downer for me. You know, I'm an older guy. I'm worried about COVID-19 anyway. I don't even know if you're aware. Two track coaches died last summer, COVID-19. Yeah. Two of them in Albuquerque. And I'm going to be 79 next week. COVID-19 hits people in the 60s and 70s, puts them out. I know that. I believe in the scientists. I follow all that. So last year was a hard year for me. I stayed home a lot. I wore a mask. I stayed away from places that you could potentially catch COVID-19. And my kids at high school that I coached, what I did was I got on my phone. And I'm a guy that uses technology now. Most guys my age don't like to use technology, but I use it. I use my phone, and I was texting kids all the time, asking them, did you get out and run on your own? Did you go to the park? Did you do this? Text me back what you did. Let me know how you're doing. Is there anything I could give you that might help make you a better runner? And so I had kids at La Cueva that were running at parks and on their own, and I never saw them. But I text him and it worked for me and it kept me excited about, I never, every day I thought about track and field, even though I wasn't going out of the house every day. I thought, I thought about track and field. That's what I am. I'm a track and field coach. I was a PE teacher. I retired from that, but now I'm a track and field coach and, and I got my own house. I live alone. I got a dog. Uh, my life has basically been, coaching young people. It used to be elementary PE. It used to be jump rope. It was track and field. Now I'm kind of narrowed down to high school track and field. And that's what I do. I don't do a whole lot. Of, you know, I'm not a party animal. I never was when I was young. I'm home a lot. And I think about track and field. You know, I'm glad that, that we're going to be able to see you out there and be able to see your kids out there. And Again, I, I hear your passion for it. You know, and you say you're a track and field coach, and I hear it. You know, and I, I am, and I see it in the kids that you coach. You know, I see it in their excitement at the meets, and I can't you know, wait. to see you and and Dominic. You know, a lot of people don't remember way back in the day, but I used to be a coach at Sandia High School. Some of the best kids, the best teams I ever had was Sandia High School. Yes, sir. It's I I enjoy it. It's a it's a great school. That, it, that was a fantastic school with fantastic kids located in the middle of Albuquerque, middle-class neighborhood. Kids that would come and were willing to work hard, and they did well, and they excelled. And I don't think that's changed much over 50 years. Sandia High School is still a good place to be. So when I go to a track meet and I see you guys come by, I think about, wow, I remember when I used to be there. I'm on a different path now. I love my kids at La Cueva, but I, I never forget what it was like to be at Sandia. So when I see you in red and blue, I got some good memories. I love that, Coach. And I think that's a great spot to uh, to wrap up. Uh, you know, I have one last question that I ask everybody, and that's just uh, what music are you listening to to get you kind of pumped, get you going, get you motivated for, for the day? 
Well, my music tastes have changed over the years, but basically, you know, I'm a child of the 40s and 50s, but yet I think the best music was always in the 70s. <laughs> I like music from all those decades, and uh, I particularly like to listen to James Taylor, and I love listening to the Bee Gees, James Taylor and the Bee Gees, and back in the day, I enjoyed Elvis Presley when I was a teenager. I like to move my body, rock and roll. I like ballads, but uh, I have a phone now and I'll go to YouTube and I'll pull up the Bee Gees and I'm just glad to be staying alive. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, that's, that's great. That's perfect. I'm going to, so I do, a, I do a playlist. Um, after every 10 episodes. So I'm going to add that one to this, to this playlist. I think that's a great one. Um, you know, again, coach, thank you so much for your time. I, I really appreciate uh, you spending some time talking with me today. This episode will be out, you know, I'm recording a week earlier. So happy birthday since it'll be, I'm, I'm assuming they're on your birthday week. You said you turned 79 next week. So well, it's, it'll be May 7th to be exact. So let's see. Uh, I'm not even sure what the date is. Is it next week or the week after? It might be the week after. This this oh. coming week. You see, your, this episode will be airing on May 2nd. Oh, okay. Well, that'll be my birthday week. I'll, I'll listen to it and see if I sound halfway intelligent. <laughs> well, um, <laughs> you know, again, thank you so much. Is there anything else you'd like to add before I let you go? The only thing i like to add is uh, I think that working with young people, it takes great parents, great teachers and coaches, and people that are willing to share, like yourself and announcers and sports writers and sportscasters, to elevate the whole field of athletics and particularly track and field that we're talking about. So kudos to everybody and let's try and get this track season going and finished how's that let's get it going track and field 2021 i'd once again like to thank my guest for their time and thank you for tuning in if you have the opportunity please rate and review wherever you listen to your podcasts, or just help spread the word. Music was provided by Philip Friedman. You can follow him on SoundCloud at DJ Teach. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at RunningNM. Feel free to drop me a line or shoot me an email at runningnewmexico at gmail.com if you have any questions or know of someone who should be interviewed. In the meantime, keep running, New Mexico.